This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. On this, the second Sunday of July, it's July 12, 2015. We're on at 6 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. And today we're live from our New York offices. We're going to be discussing the post-Snowden cyber world with our guest, Adam Levin. I'm Tom DiOria. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guest, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you with a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry-wide report, which will contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestion to techtalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send uh, an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send uh, email questions to that email address I just gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. If we don't get it on today's show, we'll definitely send you a response and try and get it on next week. We're also being simulcast on the web, so if you want to listen to us live but can't get to your radio, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the uh, Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. You can download them, listen to them as many times as you want, send them to your friends. It's free. So take advantage of that, and please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. First segment so we can review it's increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dan Dioria, Dave Brandon, and Jose Batista. Officials at New York University, according to the news, tells us that um, their Polytechnic School of Engineering, from whence I graduated, uh, aimed to rocket the city schools into the future with an ambitious new push for science, engineering, technology, and math, better known as STEM. And if you go to our archives, you see we did a show on this a few weeks ago. New York uh, NYU School of Engineering is teaming up with the National Science Foundation and the city's education department to train 500 city teachers to use robotics, um, lessons in cybersecurity, and entrepreneurship in their classes. NYU School of Engineering Dean and President Keita Pali Srivastavan said the program will reach a whopping 50,000 kids with cutting lessons, cutting edge lessons in STEM by 2025. The NYU School of Engineering Center for K-12 STEM Education has already runs one of the city's most cutting edge teacher professional development programs. Its five-year campaign to raise $10.5 million by 2020 will significantly expand its plan to educate and prepare teachers to educate city students in STEM. NSF, National Science Foundation, has given NYU $2.5 million to execute its plan. 
and FaveTech venture capitalist Fred Wilson contributed another $1 million to the cause. City Schools Chancellor Carmen Farina said the new partnership will build on the city's comprehensive and ongoing efforts to boost STEM education. Okay, let's see here. Um, Newer Tech, a leading developer of Macintosh, PC, iPod, iPhone, and iPad accessories, today announced uh, all-new, next-generation, newer tech power to you and dual USB wall outlet that enables convenient charging of up to four mobile devices at single electrical outlet. The power to you features two traditional 15-amp power outlets plus two USB ports, delivering an additional 2.5 amps via the USB ports, making the wall outlets today ready for charging the increasing number of multiple devices. So if you want to go to their website, you can go to power to new tech and uh, follow up on that um, it's compatible, as I mentioned, with the Apple iPad, all models, the Apple iPhone, all models, the Apple iPod, all USB chargeable models, Android tablets and phones with USB charging, and tablet computers, cell phones, and gaming systems. It's about $25, so that's not too bad. And uh, you may want to just check it out, as I said, and uh, check out their website. Uh, sounds like something that uh, we all should have, and I'm going to uh, ask them to send us one to test, and uh, we'll give you an update on that uh, in the future. We also have something here on e-commerce for the most part has been local and confined to the same language, geolocations, but with over 3 billion people surfing around the world on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices, over 70% don't surf in English. That's over 2 billion people and growing. English is the eighth fastest-growing language, not the first. How about that? Bridging the global language barrier and extending brands to other markets by providing, uh, so to speak, the universal translator of the Internet, Yapan Corp. has altered this with an API that renders any e-commerce site into a global site by enabling real-time translation in up to 67 languages, inclusive of the shopping cart checkout. The system integration enables entertainment companies, e-commerce companies, and other enterprises real global audiences in their own language and sell to them instantly in 67 languages with very high fidelity and accuracy and without any human translation or intervention. Uh, it's their Technology, according to them, is simple and elegant. They help retailers uh, expand their global reach by presenting, promoting, and supporting the sale of one single store in up to city's 67 languages. Um, so yeah, I think you may want to uh, check out uh, YAPPN uh, and see if that's something that could help your business. New York Stock Exchange, and we're going to get into this uh, with our guest today, uh, suspended training at 11.32 a.m. Eastern Time Wednesday and stayed down for nearly four hours. Trading is, was resumed, uh, but it was a rough day for stocks. Um, went down about 1.5%, mostly because China's stock market plunged and ongoing fears about Greece. Uh, the root cause was determined to be a configuration issue. 
and we're going to discuss whether or not this is coincidental with some other things that occurred. The Department of Homeland Security said there is no sign of malicious activity. Uh, that's if they could see if there was a sign of malicious activity. Uh, there was also an earlier outage the same day with uh, United Airlines, um, which they're also saying was a technical problem, not a hack. So um, we're going to continue to take a look at this, as I said, discuss it with our guest. The Wall Street Journal's homepage stopped as well on that day, um, so on Wednesday. So maybe uh, there is a coincidence or maybe there is not. And finally, the Times tells us that IBM said it had made working versions of ultra-dense computer chips with roughly four times the capacity of today's most powerful chips. The announcement made on behalf of an international consortium led by IBM, the giant computer company, is part of an effort to manufacture the most advanced computer chips in New York's Hudson Valley, where IBM is investing $3 billion, that's what it be, dollars in private-public partnership with New York State, Global Foundries, Samsung, and equipment vendors. Development lifts a bit of the cloud that has fallen over the semiconductor industry, which has struggled to maintain its legendary pace of doubling transistor density every two years. Each generation of chip technology is defined by the minimum size of fundamental components that switch current at nanosecond intervals. So the uh, industry is making commercial transition from what the industry generally describes as 14 nanometer manufacturing to 10 nanometer manufacturing. Okay. So uh, the semiconductor industry must now decide if IBM's bet on silicon germination is the best way forward. Okay, so we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guest. We're going to talk to you about the post-Snowden cyber world, uh, follow up on some of these weekend review articles. I'm Tom DiOria. It's Sunday, the 12th of July, 2015. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's the 12th of July, 2015. And as I mentioned to you before the break, we're going to be discussing the post-Snowden cyber world with our guest, uh, Adam Levin. And Adam is a consumer advocate with more than 30 years of experience and is nationally recognized expert on security, privacy, identity theft, fraud, and personal finance, all those things that keep you awake at night. A former director of the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs, Adam is chairman and founder of IDT911. Adam, thanks for, for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for asking me to come on, Tom. All right, so first tell me what IDT911 is, and then we'll get into the rest of the show. All righty, we're one of the largest identity theft service providers. We do identity management, identity theft education, resolution, breach, breach response, and forensics. So we pretty much cover the gamut on on everything. We have about 18 million households on the consumer side, 800,000 businesses through cyber liability policies. We are currently on two continents, about to go on to the third. Fantastic. And we'll get more into that uh as we get through uh, through the interview. But the title of the show is The Post-Snowden Cyber World, which I guess could translate into post-privacy. Tell us how you define that. 
Of course, Mark Zuckerberg told us all that privacy was dead, and unfortunately, uh, he was pretty close to right. It certainly is on life support, if not uh, if not completely knocked out of the box. And the problem is that, that everywhere we turn, everything we do, uh, we are tracked, uh, we are stored, we are disseminated, and uh, for a lot of people, uh, they don't realize that it's it's not that we're a user anymore. We're now the product ourselves. And unfortunately, when it comes to all things government-related, that could be pretty dangerous. So we've been discussing uh, for a while now the Internet of Things. So I guess that's what you mean, that since everything is digitally connected, it's contributing to uh, the nature of the this post-Snowden world? Well, it certainly is. Um, if you remember the movie Minority Report by Steven Spielberg, it starred on Cruise. Yep. Where, you, where we got you got to the point where literally everywhere you went, your retinal or DNA was being scanned, and whether it was for law enforcement purposes or for marketing purposes, um, they could always find you, and they would know essentially what to do with you. And it got to the point where they arguably could predict crimes before they were committed. That didn't mean they couldn't make a mistake. Well, the Internet of Things is is basically now becoming what's called the sensor net, which is everywhere you turn, almost everything that you interact with is connected in one way or another to each other through the Internet and back to the, the manufacturers and anyone who has an interest in basically collecting, storing, and disseminating a data. I mean, big data is where we are, and we're a world that's awash in data. And, you know, if you think about it, everything from your toaster to your refrigerator to your stereo system, to your television set and more, your security system, the thermostat system in your home. Everything is like reading, recording. Heck, they just came up with something and you put a cover on a mattress and it will be able to determine uh, when are your best sleeping hours and when you're waking up so that it can turn the coffee pot on. If that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. Yeah, I wonder what else it's tracking. I don't even want to know. Yeah, that's true. So how how but you know um, before we get into the to the uh, reach of this how is it all connected in other words okay so I have some a Nest thermostat that uh, you know does the temperature and uh, something that takes care of the fire alarm you know smoke detectors and stuff and then I have something in my refrigerator and then I have my front door alarm system and. I have my, you know, I'm walking around with an iPhone, and I have my uh, PC, and my kids have PCs. How is this all linked somewhere in the cloud or somewhere where they're all tied back to me? How does that work? Well, you know, there are routers, there's Internet connections, there are identifiers, there's uh, IP addresses. All of those things, in one way or another, link back to us. You know, they for years talked about anonymized data. In fact, I have a book coming out in November, and one of the the subject areas we talk about is when data is anonymized, but then there are ways that you can de-anonymize it. Uh, for instance, years ago, they were able to just tell by, by Google searches, uh, uh, they were able to identify a specific person. So we do we do leave digital digital breadcrumbs wherever we go, and a lot of people don't realize that. That's why you know, unfortunately, there's no delete button when it comes to things online, 
and people have to be a bit more careful and always be mindful that whatever they do, wherever they're going, whatever they're looking at, uh, unless they use some of these uh, newer search engines where you are more anonymized, that someone could well be, and in many cases is, looking at what you're doing, whether it's for marketing purposes or things that are not marketing-related. Once it's out there in the outside of your house, in the world, in the cloud, however you want to phrase it, uh, it's out there. So even if you delete it from your computer, it's already gone out there, so it's out there somewhere. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. There's no real delete. There's a momentary delete. But even for those who delete, unless you then go into the trash of your computer and delete that as well, it's still lurking around somewhere on your hard drive. I mean, we, we had a case not too long ago where um, information on the hard drive of a, of a copy machine had an enormous amount of personal identifying information about clients to a company, and it, it dawned on no one that it was actually stored in the hard drive of the copy machine. And the hard drive was, and the copy machine was connected to their network, so obviously accessible from anywhere. Correct. But the other problem is when they disposed of the copy machine, they forgot to basically uh, delete anything that was on that hard drive. I mean, there was a case not too long ago out of Washington. It's fascinating. Someone had purchased uh, from a, a used uh, equipment store a typewriter one of the old type typewriters that actually had the ribbon on it. Yep. And they walked in the room and their child was playing with the ribbon and they picked up the ribbon because they obviously said, come on, it's dirty, you don't want to do that. And they started noticing names and social security numbers. It turned out that it had been surplus sold from a government health agency that had done a study on victims of the 9-11 Pentagon attack. And that data was still on that typewriter ribbon, and no one had thought about destroying it. That's interesting. And I bet you, uh, just going back to your copies story, nobody even thinks about that having a hard drive. So they're doing that all the time. That's correct. That's, that's scary and good information uh, for our listeners at the same time. We hear constantly about hacking. You know, there have been some uh, recent scary stories that are going out there, and the hackers obviously are much more sophisticated than the old days, or at least now we know they are. Um, and they learn very, very quickly, and it's becoming harder and harder for the people that are providing the security, I guess, to keep up with them. Um, is this how you would define the cyber war? I mean, is it something now that uh, should take its place in the worldwide concern like the Cold War did? Oh, absolutely. There's no question the Cold War has been replaced by a much hotter war, and that's the cyber war. And we're in the equivalent of an arms race, and I'm not sure we're winning that arms race. Although we wouldn't really know, and the reason is that when something occurs in the United States, we're very open about it. We have notification laws. The media is always very interested in it, and people have a tendency to be more forthcoming than other parts of the world. Certainly, if what happened at the Office of Personnel Management occurred in Russia or China, we wouldn't be reading press releases about it. And it may well have happened. We wouldn't necessarily know, but we are locked in a worldwide struggle. It is escalating, and, you know, data is the new weapon. Well, I'd like to ask you uh, a little bit more about this than if it's only a one-way street where it comes into the U.S., but we have to take a break. 
Um, but I will ask you that question when we come back. Uh, this is Tom Diori. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 12th of July, 2015, and we're talking to Adam Levin about the post-Snowden cyber world. Please stay tuned. This is a half-hour break, so you're going to get the national news. But come back, and we'll have more on the post-privacy. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's July 12, 2015. I'm Tom DiOria. This is IMI's Tech Talk, and we're talking to Adam Levin about the post-Snowden cyber world, and we're talking about the cyber war replacing the Cold War. Just like to know what your feeling is. I mean, we obviously know we, the U.S., are being attacked probably constantly. Is any of it going the other way? Are we subtly or not so subtly snooping around and attacking the rest of the world? No, I would assume we are. And if you remember the reports of Stutnet and and other uh, viruses that have been unleashed in the world, and and there were people who who said, you know, that was originally done in order to uh, significantly impair the the program in Iran. that where it took control and spun up the centrifuges and, uh, you know, basically wiped out their ability to to do some of the things they were doing. I have no doubt that we were in there along with Israel and some other countries. So uh, I think that it's it's not a question of if it if it's happening. I think it's definitely happening. We're just not going to be hearing that much about about what we're doing because certainly we shouldn't be answering press releases about that. And other countries are not unless they find it to their to their political benefit to do so. And oftentimes, no country wants to admit it's been having a problem. Certainly, like the problem we're having in the Office of Personal Management. Yep. Oh, well, that's that's obviously true. So I'm a big conspiracy nut. And last week, uh, Wednesday, I think. There was a problem with United Airlines, which I think they attributed to routers or a, a software change. Yes. The stock exchange had a problem. The Wall Street Journal had a problem. And they all said, you know, this kind of technical problem or that kind of technical problem. But in my conjuring, you know, I'm saying, well, maybe it was. But, you know, coincidence is a hard thing these days. And could it have possibly be? a cyber attack test to see what they could do and then possibly at some later time do it on a much broader scale, or you think it was all coincidental? You know, I'm I'm never really sure about that. I remember a line from one of my favorite movies, The Firm, where someone said, there's nothing to be suspicious about, and his line was, I'm paid to be suspicious when there's nothing to be suspicious about. And uh, Wilford Brimley, wonderful actor. Anyway... Truth of the matter is that it's just there's a lot of coincidences that sometimes just feel a little too coincidental. You know, strange things happen. Like a year ago, J.P. Morgan was attacked. Uh, Eighty-three million files were exposed, but nothing happened. Right. Well, that was a little curious. Uh, we know that a couple of years back, one by one, financial services websites went down, and there were some hacktivist groups that basically said, "We're doing this to prove that we can do it." You know, there are basically four levels of hacking. There is the, we do it for money, 
we do it because we're a state-sponsored hacking organization or contracted by a state to create a problem. Uh, we do it because we just want to show you we can do it, or we do it because we want to make a political statement. And sometimes the lines cross between all of that. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that uh, those coincidences were, even if pure coincidences, people are a little jumpy, and justifiably so. After just since January, we've had the Anthem 80 million Social Security number breach exposed, followed by the Primera breach, uh, followed by the CareFirst breach, followed by, you know, what I think is the mother of all breaches, not because it's the biggest, but because it's clearly the farthest reaching breach, and that is the uh, breach of the Office of Personal Management, which is essentially the Human Resources Department, the United States government. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and those are just breaches. The, in these three cases, they shut down those operations, which was scary. Whether or not they took anything at the same time is not known because nobody's saying, but just the capability of, of shutting down these, these, uh, what appear to be completely diverse and different uh, organizations, um, one can just wonder. So I guess we'll just have to leave it at that. Um, but, well, you have to say to yourself, variety is the spice of life. Yeah. There was, a great, there was a great deal of variety, but I think there is, you know, one given that we have to accept, and that is that, that breaches have become the third certainty in life, and yep. that we have to adjust ourselves to that kind of a world and, and think differently about how we deal with breaches, how we prepare for breaches, how we secure data in this country, and then how we respond when, in fact, we have a breach. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions I'd like to leave out there and we're going to discuss at the end is whether or not we're doing enough to protect ourselves. But um, going again on breaches and shutdowns and stuff, um, two obvious things that come out that are talked about all the time, and I don't see any, and you're a lot closer to this than I am, obviously, any major effort being done, but power grid is vulnerable, and obviously we just saw that the financial grid is, is vulnerable. Um, is this a cyber-geddon? I mean, is this, is this going to happen? Well, I think that we have to assume that anything in the world that can happen at some point probably will happen. I'm sure a number of your listeners saw the TV series Revolution, where essentially the entire electric grid went out and went out what appeared to be permanently. Um, chaos throughout the world. I mean, that's not an impossibility. Uh, I've always worried about cybergeddon in terms of a financial cybergeddon, which is where millions of identities are unleashed upon, uh, upon an economy where no one can put together the right person with the right information and businesses are wiped out and uh, the costs are enormous and consumers are, are in terror and law enforcement is scratching his head. That's one thing. Second thing is if you bring down the entire financial grid, people can't get their hands on money. You wipe out the data in financial institutions. And since you know most of this is electronic now, it's like your net worth is just vaporized. And then the third thing is the power grid, where there have been estimates that this could be a trillion-dollar problem uh, just waiting to happen. And I know, I know a story about a fellow who was developing an alternate power source, and he said one of the things he looked into was how secure is the power grid. And he said, frankly, it was incredibly insecure 
and it scared him half to death. I mean, if you just look around the United States, I mean, you see these big power lines. They're not guarded. I mean, all you got to do is blow one up in the middle of somewhere and or just go, you know, hack into, uh, we've got Con Ed here in, in New York, hack into one of their control centers and just shut everything down. I mean, Yeah, or worse, hack into a control center and then wreak havoc on a nuclear reactor. Now you got a real problem. Uh, <laughs> that's that's putting it mildly. Do you think enough is being done? I mean, are the is the financial industry, the stock exchanges, the banks, and or the power companies focused on this? Do you think, or are they just keeping their fingers crossed? No, I think they're focused on. I think the financial industry has been the leader. The retail industry has been the laggard for sure. The healthcare industry in terms of security of data, has been sort of a disaster. And now, of course, the newest revelations with the United States government, which looks like it's the biggest disaster of all, um, you know, and it's very tough just when the U.S. government goes after somebody and they go, well, how are you going after me for data insecurity when you can't even protect the data of the people that are defending our country? Uh, two wrongs don't make a right there. The truth is this is a collaborative effort. Everybody's got to be part of this, but one thing is sure, and that is that we are woefully ineffective so far in terms of protecting the data in this country and protecting um, the important systems that we have, and something really has to change. we got a lot of work to do, and we don't really have a lot of time to do that work. On that happy note, we're going to take a break. This is Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 12th of July, 2015. We're talking to Adam Levin about the post-Snowden cyber world or post-privacy world. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria. This is July 12, 2015, and we're talking to Adam Levin about the post-Snowden cyber world. And um, you explained what IDT 9-11 was uh, in the first segment. Um, maybe you can, and you also mentioned uh, during the interview about a book you have coming out. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and tell our listeners how they can follow up with you if they have questions after the show. Well, that's great. I have a book coming out uh, November 24th. It is coming out right at that time because it will be the second anniversary of the uh, the target breach. It's called Swiped, uh, basically how to protect yourself in a world of scammers, uh, fishers, and identity thieves. And it talks about the real problems that we face and, and the kinds of solutions that consumers should be considering uh, in order to more effectively uh, protect themselves. I mean, the problem is that uh, we're at a state now, as we had said earlier, where the breaches have become the third certainty in life, and identity theft that flows from them is a certainty as well at some level. At some point in our lives, each and every one of us will become a victim of some form of identity theft. For some, it will be easily correctable, which is a credit card or debit card, although debit cards can become a little more complicated if someone was able to actually uh, get access to your bank account. But then you start moving up the food chain where you get to through name identity theft that leads to opening new financial accounts that could put you in financial harm's way. 
to medical identity theft, to tax fraud-related identity theft, to criminal identity theft, things like that. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty scary stuff, and I'm, I'm not sure that people are taking it as seriously as they should. Uh, I know that in the corporate world, they're taking it more seriously now, but I'm not convinced they're taking it as seriously as they should either. Uh, I think that seems obvious. But uh, And how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to follow up? Well, they, I have a website, adamlevin.com. I also have uh, two companies, uh, credit.com, which is an educator and an advocate, credit products and services organization dedicated to giving people answers and helping them uh, basically manage their credit more effectively. Uh, that's credit.com, and also they can touch me through IDT911.com, which is the Identity Theft Identity Management Breach Response Company. Great. So there was a hacking team hack. Just wondering how concerned we need to be about global surveillance companies selling services to the higher, highest bidder. Uh, does that give cyber criminals a uh, leg up here? Well, they, they have been generally restricting their sales, as far as we knew, up until this breach, to police forces around the world. Unfortunately, some of those police forces were with highly repressive regimes, uh, and their, their surveillance uh, software was, was pretty impressive stuff. Uh, they got hacked, and as part of the hack, the hackers gained access to their source code which was published uh, on a couple websites, and it was disseminated through their Twitter accounts. Uh, so the information is out there. Now, the, the good side of that is that some of the sites that had been uh, surveilled were able to determine what the vulnerabilities were and were closing those vulnerabilities by way of patches. But they've also said in some reports that they are now seeing some indication that cyber criminals have gotten their hands on this uh, this surveillance software and these tools, and maybe using them for their own benefit. So it, it's the company apparently, at least for now, has shut down its operations. They are in the process of, of retooling their systems and uh, you know upgrading their software and making changes. Uh, but you know, one of the secrets to surveillance tools is that no one's supposed to know they're there. And now the, the code's out there, and it creates a trail of breadcrumbs where organizations will be able to determine where, what it is, where it is, and how to patch it. Scary. Very scary. It's kind of like, so who, you know, now someone is surveilling the surveillers. And, you know, that no one, no one knew that the DEA or the FBI or the defense was actually doing business with these folks, and apparently it's come out as a result, again, assuming that the information that is out there now is true, uh, that U.S. government agencies were working with them as well as foreign agencies. That's amazing. So we talked a little about the OPM hack and, and how big it was. The question is, do you feel that... that um, the federal government as a whole, not only in this area, which which we know about, uh, there's probably other areas that we don't know about, but do you think the federal government really keeps up with these things that is a priority for them, or is it something, you know, they'd rather spend their money on something else? 
I think this administration in particular has been pretty concerned about the state of our cybersecurity in the country. The president's been trying to go at it by way of executive order because um, Congress hasn't been terribly helpful. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's scurrying around Washington hysterical about the need to pass cybersecurity legislation. There's also the issue of information sharing between government and businesses and concerns that people have had that private data is also going to be caught up in that, which is only going to make it more available to the NSA, which, as we all know, has, has made their people very uneasy. Uh, but there's, government needs to do a lot of work. Uh, and, you know, the problems are, in a lot of these breaches, what do you hear? You hear nothing about encryption. You hear nothing about two-factor authentication. You hear nothing about data segmentation. You hear nothing about extensive training of personnel to make sure that they understand the very best uh, cyber hygiene practices in order to uh, to make sure that mistakes aren't made and that data is secure. And, you know, I think that we're now we're approaching something I call the three M's, which is we all have to shift our thinking about just protecting and also move on to monitoring as well as damage control. And just, to, you know, where businesses need to be prepared for a breach, need to train for it, and need to have people in place ready to respond urgently, transparently, and empathetically uh, for their customers, their employees. Consumers also need to, to monitor through every which way they can. And then to have a damage control program in place. And, and, and real quick, basically, insurance companies have programs available, many banks, uh, credit unions, and even HR departments where people work, where you may be in a program that is designed to help you through a problem. But if you don't ask, you won't know. And therefore, ask your insurance agent, your bank rep, your HR department, do you have a program that can help me? Am I in it? If not, what do I need to do to get in it? Is it going to cost me anything? How much is it going to cost? And then you make the decision. But identity theft has become so complex. Hackers have become so sophisticated. The time that it takes for people to find out that they're victimized, other than when they hear about a data breach, is taking longer and longer. So by the time you actually know you have a problem, you're so deep in it, it is way beyond your capacity to handle it yourself. You need a professional, and there may well be professional assistance available for you, but you just have to ask. Adam, that's great advice, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share with our listeners and be on the show uh, today. Um, we'll definitely have I appreciate you back. the invite. We'll definitely have you back, and uh, you can give us an update on whether or not things are getting better or not. I, okay, I appreciate next week, that. My pleasure. Thanks, and thanks again. Next week, we're going to be uh, live from our New York offices, and I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's President, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for our Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer. Tess Henshaw is our associate producer. Matt Kimpagny is our executive producer. And from the production department of KFNX AM 1100, Robert Bombach makes you hear the words we speak. Thank you again for listening. And please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening.